Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. I always think if you can get the, the different perspective from somebody who does what you do, but from a different jurisdiction... It's always going to throw up insights, isn't it? Uh, you think so. It's fascinating. I, the, the similarities are just unbelievable. You know, when you think um, his dad, Frank and Sandra, well, I mean, what's fascinating, they were 74 and Frank and Sandra 88. Yeah. So uh, they're a bit more advanced as to where it is with the market. But, mm. you know, the similarities, it's, it's it never ceases to amaze me, really, that, you know, pre-really Frank and Sandra there wasn't a value for a dental practice. And now no. look at them. I mean, oh, yeah. it is nuts. It is I think the other thing that strikes me as well is that the the numbers he talked about in terms of dentists and dental practices compared to the UK compared very similarly. They were, they were yeah. very similar numbers. But then you think of geography. Yeah. And it makes you appreciate just how densely populated the UK is compared to Canada. Well, I was mistaken. When you think population, you said, you know, similar number of practices, 36 million people. Yeah. So that just reinforces the fact of there's way more dentistry done on Canadian teeth than there's done on the yeah. UK teeth. And, and interesting, the other one, that do you remember that guy, I think his name was Scott, can't remember, with the number of people who don't go to the dentist in the States, oh, which yeah. would appear to be very different than the Canadian guys. Absolutely. I thought it was fascinating. It, it really was. And he's a real wise owl. He's yeah. got the, the benefit of obviously seeing his father start the business and absorbing all that knowledge. But he's a real thinker in terms of trying to understand where dentistry is going. Yeah. And also that that view he had that I found really interesting on uh, the corporate market and how that's developing. Yeah, definitely. And not a bad location either. Oh, it was beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was really enjoyable talking to It was to good him. fun. So welcome, everybody. We are delighted. Um, we've got a good friend joining us today. We've got Timothy Brown. And Timothy is the CEO of the Roy Corporation, Canada's leading brokers of dental practices over in Canada. Um, a classic entrepreneur um, and a larger-than-life character as well. So welcome, Timothy. How are you doing? Yeah, how are you doing? Pleasure to be Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Chris. It's an honor to be here. Let's have a good, vibrant yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. think you must almost be our furthest guest, apart from the chat from Texas. Yeah, I'm not really sure distance how that would work. But. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you probably win the award. We'll have to send you something for being our most long distance guest. So your your father, Roy Brown, who I I was fortunate to meet when we had a, a Zoom conversation a little while ago, started Roy Corporation back in 1979. Wow. Yeah, so even before, because Frank Turner yeah. Associates started in 1988. 1988, yeah. So you're now, it's under your, your stewardship. Um, obviously, there's, 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 you know, we'll explore the kind of the whole family connection of working together. But going back to the very beginning, um, what were the things that shaped you in your, your teenage years to the man that you are today? What was your childhood like? And what were those sort of key lessons that you learned as a kid? Well... First of all, just a minor correction. My dad actually started the company in 74. I was 11 years oh, of age. My mother and father, yeah, 74. I was 11. And my mother and father started the company in our family home. And it really was an accidental business plan. My father had been selling dental equipment and supplies huh. to the Canadian dental profession. Started that in 1948. 
And right around the 1970s, the early 70s, a large U.S. company uh, swooped in to buy up the dental supply company that he had been managing with a number of employees and sales reps. And they actually offered him a demotion, and he said, nope, I'm going to go out on my own, and I'm going to start something. So that was 74. And quite by accident, one of the very senior dentists he had sold some equipment to approached him and said, well, if you're on your own now, Roy, how about this for a challenge? I think my practice should be sold because I have brand new equipment, I have a great location, I have a capable staff, I have a loyal client list. And my father said, well, dental practices in Canada really don't sell for anything. And my dad and that that doctor sat down and said, well, let's do something about that. So in 74, my father collected the data and published his very first dental practice appraisal. Uh, the value of that practice was $28,000. And then my father sought out about going around the dental university, mostly in Toronto, because that was proximate to my father. And he found a young woman, or sorry, a young man who said, that's a great location. I was born and raised in that neighborhood. I don't want to suffer all of the frustration of contacting a landlord, building an office, ordering new equipment. Why don't I just take his over? And that young chap paid $28,000 for that dental practice. And shortly after that, my mother and father you know, cashed a little commission check, a success fee. And they quickly realized, Roy, you know hundreds of other late career senior dentists that you've sold equipment to. Why don't we approach them and see if anybody would like to duplicate that process? And here we are. Uh, next year will be our 50th year in business. We've appraised in excess, well in excess of 10,000 dental practices. And we don't appraise them all for sale, but we've brokered over almost 4,000 now as the exclusive broker for those dentists. And of course, we have a multitude of competition in Canada now, some very respectful companies, most of whom worked for us at one time or for my <laughs> father. And that's how it all began, and that's where we are today. The comparables that's unbelievable between, similarities. Yeah, between Royal Corporation and Frank Tain Associates, because similar. Um, two guys, there was Frank Tain and Sandra Rose, they both worked for a dental supply company. They rolled out of that and started the business. And, and before that, there wasn't a, an independent market, as there wasn't in your case. Mm. But but the, the interesting thing for me is, is we're now in 2022, all those years on. Um, we, we know we can't rely on past glories um, just because we've been around for a long time doesn't give There's us no any right, right to exist. any right to stay in the position we're in. So how how's your business evolved over those years to make sure that you're still at the forefront? Because you're still leading the way in Canada. What what things have you done to make sure that you've maintained that position? Because people always say, you know, getting to number one isn't that tricky. It's hard to staying at number one. So what, what have you done in, in, in your business to make sure you, you keep in that position? Well, the, the hallmark of our organization has always been the empirical appraisal document itself. So we have constantly evolved and invested in making sure that the appraisals we publish, which are paid for by the practice owners, are relevant to the intended readers, being dentists and then lawyers, accountants and bankers. And we're constantly adding to that report and making it relevant for the purposes of those intended readers. Lawyers have a certain set of data they wish to see the accountants of course bankers want to see cash flows and projections and dentists of course want to see all of the lists of all the things they do their philosophy their equipment so publishing an empirical appraisal has always been the cornerstone of our business uh, as a commission broker yes we're motivated to try to persuade that dentist to let us be their agent or their exclusive broker when the time comes to exit ownership but we don't we don't focus on that we focus on the appraisal as long as we publish a quality appraisal, and I believe we are considered 
the empirical producer uh, by the banks, accountants, and lawyers, and the dentists mm-hmm. themselves. But it's really those three other critical readers who, who judge and critique us more than anything, uh, particularly the accountants and the banks. So I think that that's been the number one anchor mm-hmm. for the Roy Corporation reputation as we constantly focus on that appraisal itself. Um, I'm, as I'm sure you both know, uh, producing an appraisal can be a tedious task. It's, it's pulling data from the practice and the software, the staff in some cases, the owner, and many times dentists are not that well organized with their documentation. So it's very, it can be very tedious and slow mm. to gather mm. it. But once we have, we can turn out a fine quality report. And I think that's what makes us number one in the eyes of the profession and all of those critical intended readers. And I know that our competition um, produces some excellent appraisals, but I think that their focus is getting the listing because the commission is where, you know, yeah, the big, the big, the big win is yeah. the big fit. And they're so quick to produce their appraisal to, to try to beat us in terms of delivery time that sometimes we find, uh, when we see them, we find some horrible deficiencies and omissions that I think they're just pushing them too quick. And I don't mean to criticize yeah. the competition, gentlemen, but if, if, if I were to buy them, I would immediately slow their process down and I would immediately initiate far greater checks and balances in the data collection and data verification because once that appraisal is published, it will be widely circulated through a number of dentists and their professional advisors. And when we have a, an active listing anywhere in Canada, it's easy to expect that 100 or 200 people will read that report. And in many cases, they're looking for yeah. error. And we just be as error-free as we and can And I suppose be. also if a, a lot of your competitors actually used to work for you, as you said, then they're either not going to maybe have the original thought They've just sort of like doing a me too mm. copy sort of thing, really. Yeah. Um, so it, it it doesn't have that dynamicism, as you're saying, as an evolving document. Mm. There's there's tremendous cost into the, you know, our internal compliance to validate the facts, to cross, to fact check the facts mm. and the data that's been sent to us, um, and then to prepare that appraisal. Uh, we have a complement of about twenty five clerical and administrative and analytical staff and that appraisal passes through almost every one of their hands before it, it leaves our building so to speak and we have a very simple policy at Roy Corporation about our appraisals when in doubt it does not go mm-hmm. out and everybody in the office retains that permission even the receptionist and the the, the tea and tidy lady um, nobody um, is is ever disciplined for saying I think we should check mm-hmm. that again before we send this out Unfortunately, that makes our process the slowest in the nation, but I think it produces mm. the highest quality, and that remains our number one focus. And you know, you may know Ford of Canada has that mandate: quality is job one, and that is our mandate, our mantra. Right? That's it's interesting, interesting because when we we tell our guys about the valuation report, we say that the if you have an error within it, which then goes out. The problem is the validity of the whole report then comes into question because yeah. we say, well, hang on a minute. If you miss the fact yeah. of that number's wrong, then how much do I believe the other numbers that you've got? In your I think it's so it important. Yeah. Everything, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. a, it's a body, Accuracy it's a body of work. is so important. Yeah, it's a body of work. So what does the what does the market look like over there in terms of um, what valuations look like in terms of multiples? How long does it take to set a dental practice in Canada? How, how big how, is it? I yeah, mean, what's you the know, size from, of a, market? from a knowledge point of view, Timothy, just that, how big is the market? How many dental practices are there? 
So the market in an overview, we have approximately 25,000 licensed dentists in Canada with upwards of 1,500 new licenses being granted every year. We have an exit rate of about 500 to 700. So the number of buyers and new licensees entering is greater than those that are mm -hmm. exiting for various reasons. So the number of dentists in Canada next year could be upwards of 26,000 practicing licensed dentists. Uh, of course, in our business, we count doors. There's approximately 15,000 dental offices, not dentists, but mm -hmm. offices. And they're spread across the nation. About 40% of those are located in Ontario, the largest population province in Canada. And roughly about 40 to 45% of the dentists in Canada are also in Ontario. A large majority of them congregating around Toronto, which is our biggest city, of course. Um, the turnover rate, and, you know, the actuaries publish this data because of death and disability and retirement and burnout and relocation and returning to school and all kinds of other reasons. Uh, about 5% of the dental practices in Canada will trade every year one way or the other. So that's about 700, 750 practices will trade. Yeah. Now, they don't all go to yeah, and they don't all go to open market because quite often a, an owner dentist will sell to a son or a daughter that's graduated or an associate dentist in the business will immediately find their way mm -hmm. into the ownership role. They need an appraisal from a company like ours, but they don't take it to market. So it's mm -hmm. not available for all to view. Uh, I'll talk about the corporate phenomenon in a minute. Uh, partners often buy partners out or the, the young chap across the road approaches the older dentist on the other side of the road and says, hey, why don't you pack up and come on over here and we'll merge or do a roll in. So of those 750, about half of them would end up in the hands of a brokerage. And about half of those, again, would end up in the hands of our firm because we roughly maintain about 50% market share across the nation. All of our other competitors combined make up the other yeah, 50%. In terms of people that do what we do, there's about 50 equivalent full-time or brokers in 50. Canada, people that are actively 50, wow. five, zero. And half of them work for us again because of our organic market share. Um, and that'll just jump to the corporate phenomenon for you now. So they've been extremely aggressive mm. here in Canada over the last decade. They roughly control about 7% or about 1,000 of the dental practices in Canada today. Uh, there's two very large firms, one with about 450 locations. Uh, the second place is presently, after merging recently, they're at about 350 locations. And then there's a, a, a wide, wide spectrum of what I would call the mid-market corporate accumulators with anywhere from 5 to 15 to 25. And there's many of those. And they're in the race to accumulate. That's they're very, very with each similar other. to the so UK because similar yeah, similar, the, the, the large corporates in the yeah. UK are quoted around about the 15%. But I, but that doesn't tell the whole story because it's very similar. There's there's lots that have mm. you know ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty practices, and when you put those into the mix, um, it's a significant number. Yeah, about a thousand practices are controlled by corporate. One of our corporates in Canada is publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, a second one has been raising substantial sums from private equity. They're very assertive. They have very sophisticated marketing. They have a wide tentacles across the nation at the university level, at organized dentistry. Uh, they're making donations and sponsorships, and they're everywhere. Uh, so everyone in Canada knows who the usual suspects are. What we're finding here in Canada, and maybe similar in the UK, is that the, you know, the mentality of the Canadian dentist is distinctly different than that of our closest neighbor and companion, the U.S. dental market. Uh, even though Canadian dentists, I think, are equally as entrepreneurial, they're much more independent and they're much more hands-on control operator oriented. And we do know for a fact that thousands of dentists in Canada have been approached by these corporates, thousands of them, maybe five, seven thousand. It's hard to know. 
but only 1,000 have made the move because the Canadian dentist seems to be the hands-on owner-operator. This is my baby. And when surveyed, and I'm sure it's the same in the UK, most of our clients admit, I went into dentistry to be my own boss. That you can't erase. You can't erase that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, dentists are very high IQ. They're very intelligent. Uh, they like everything just so, you know, the way the drawers are organized, the way the supplies, how they do their treatments, their record keeping. So I'm predicting that the corporate phenomenon in Canada, I think it has potential to double itself over the next three to five years to maybe 15% market share. But I just think the sentiment of the Canadian dentist is resisting mm. it. Uh, even though they've been very generous with, with their offers and they've made some very aggressive mm. offers, their rejection rate is very high. And I think that's just the psychology mm. of the Canadian dentist. What do you think well, over there? I was going to ask you, one of the interesting things we're seeing from some of our our newly qualified dentists is that they lack a bit of, um, to put it bluntly, backbone um, in the fact of they, they only want to work a, a certain amount of time. They don't really want anything too stressful and I wonder whether you uh, have that in Canada with the new dentists sort of coming out don't really want to work full-time quite happy to um, you know work three days a week don't really want any stress because that's that's what the new guys are finding especially the guys who come out of uh, going into NHS dentistry anecdotally what we hear right. is that they just can't deliver the goodies and they're all saying oh well actually for my own well-being i only really want to work three days a week because i don't want to be too stressed so our concern is sort of well will how many of those will become practice owners really because one thing owning a practice is it's not a part-time job really so in Canada, uh, I think one of the most important things to recognize is that if we have 1,500 dentists who obtain a license in Canada this year, 1,000 of them will come from abroad and requalify here. And they are highly ah, that's motivated. Okay, right. That's interesting. Um, so the Canadian dental schools graduate about 500 to 550. And yes, in that particular cohort, uh, we do see some entitlement and some lifestyle preferences. Uh, 60 to 70% of them are female graduates. And of course, they have other obligations in life that men don't. So if all 550 Canadian graduates were, sorry, the entitled generation, which I hate to use that broadly, um, we have a thousand other dentists that have come in. They've come from Where other nations. Where they come nations, from, Timothy? What countries do they join you from? All, all over the world. Uh, predominantly right now, we're seeing Middle Eastern and South Asian dentists, mm -hmm. but they are very assertive. They are very motivated. Many of them have owned practices in other nations before relocating, yeah. qualifying Those here. Those guys want to buy. They arrive. Those guys want to buy, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, they've already been an owner. They don't want to no, be anybody's right. associate. Yeah. They really don't. And I think it's very important to know that for these people arriving from foreign nations and requalifying here, they, quite frankly, I think they feel like they've won the lottery of citizenship and dental licensing. When they discover that our banks here in Canada finance 100% of the appraised value that our company assigns, I think they feel they've hit the jackpot and they're willing to borrow and lend and mm. throw themselves in the deep end. Work unlike a lot of today's Sorry, young Timothy, just, just pause on that. Were you saying, because in the UK, uh, we've got a very supportive banking system for um, dentists to, to buy well, that's dental practices. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> did, did you say the banks will lend 100% of the, of the valuation? No money down in wow. Canada, 100% raised wow. value, uh, 10 to 12 year amortizations. The first one to two years can be interest wow. only and very, very liberal what and very sort generous. What margins, at this Timothy, time. would they put on that? 
Uh, the banks are lending at prime rate today, which is about three and a half, and it will soon be three point seven wow. or four percent. Obviously, globally, interest rates are growing, but roughly at four percent. So, to borrow a million dollars at four percent interest is forty thousand a year carrying mm-hmm. costs and interest alone, one hundred percent tax deductible. That's like renting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this gen- this generation of borrowers is looking at million dollar loans like they're renting the money. Mm-hmm. When, when I borrow. When I borrowed my first million dollars, I owed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different, very different mindset. Thursday. Very different mindset. I, it was a psychological burden of responsibility to pay, and there's a, you know, there's a trend towards. I'm just renting. If I if I don't like it and I feel the pressure, I can always sell the mm. practice, give money to the bank, like I'm turning in a rental car, and maybe just become an associate again. So the fear factor or the intimidation level of the debt mm. burden. And when you say 100%, um, you obviously have leasehold and freehold practices out there. This would this would apply to leasehold practices as well. And, and as a follow-up, well, what's the mixture of, of dental practices that come with a freehold as opposed to on a leasehold? So for the Canadian viewer, freehold means we own yeah. the real estate. And in, in British Columbia, we call them stratas or condominiums in Ontario and the rest of the provinces. We just say they own the real estate, right, the yeah. premises, let's say. Uh, probably about 30% of the practices that come to market, the client, seller, dentist also owns right. the real yeah. estate free. Um, but a lot of them, and my advice to many of them is real estate in Canada has been a brilliant investment over the last several decades. Why not hold that, mm. rent it to the buyer? Just yeah. don't burden them with all that extra so soon. Let them buy the practice. They'll get their 100% financing. Let them get going. Let them get two or three years under their belt. Charge rent, fair market rent, whatever's suitable for the immediate community. And then give them a first option to purchase mm-hmm. that property sometime in the future. Of the, let's say we listed 100 practices this year, about 30% of the owners would own the real estate, but only about 15% would package and yeah, offer the yeah. real that, estate. That's what we found. A, a lot of people would just turn it into almost like that's an additional part of their pension pot, really. Sure. Yeah, it's a retirement. Yeah. And is there a decent um, selection of banks supporting dentistry? Because we've got, a, it varies, but it's normally between about 12 and 15 banks that have a green light strategy to fund and support dentistry. Is that is that is that similar over in Canada? So it's a little different in Canada. We're a little more centralized. We have our top five banks, Royal Bank, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, Toronto Dominion Bank, Bank of Montreal, and who am I forgetting? Uh, Scotiabank. So those are the, the big five. Uh, but in addition to that, many of the credit unions, uh, the, the, the Schedule B banks, they've all stepped up lately because they already have dentists mm-hmm. as clients, uh, loans, car loans, maybe residential mortgages. And they've often watched the big five come in and swoop away the whole portfolio because they focus on the practice mm-hmm. financing. So I would say we have five very willing and open door banks in Canada and probably another five that are competing with them. But our big five have such incredible exposure, bricks and mortar, nation, coast to coast. And they tend to get them at the student level. Mm. Um, and it's a cradle to grave business philosophy yeah. for insurance companies, banks. You know, get them at the university level. If you can get the student loan, if that student borrows two or 300000 from you to be their banker during their student uh, time, there's a very high probability they'll remain loyal with you because it's not their focus to switch banks and go bank shopping. Mm. They just need the money so they can go and pursue their career. Mm. Fascinating. Wow. It's, it's amazing the similarities between it's, between the two markets. It's interesting, isn't it? Because pre the uh, 2008, 2009, in the UK, Timothy, <laughs> they were doing, the banks were doing 100, 110% of funding. Um, then obviously uh, that all 
disappeared and now the best we can probably get is 90% maybe. Yeah, you probably get 100% a on, a, on the freehold property. They'll lend all the money on the property, but for the business, it's kind of 90%. Mm. What do the um, what do the core metrics look like for a dental practice out there? So in the UK, um, off the accounts, net profits probably running at about 22 to 25%. It would be a reconstituted net profit of somewhere between 32, 35. Staff costs would have been about 20%. They're sort of rising to 22, 24% now because of inflation. What what are sort of the core costs and the, and the numbers look like where you are? Uh, well, the top four expenses in any dental practice in the world, as far as I know, are wages first and foremost, then dental supplies, dental laboratory, and rent, and then a yeah. multitude yeah. of others after that. Canada are escalating rapidly. I'm sure they are in other parts of the world. The average practice in Canada would see uh, wages, not including doctor or yeah. family, of 30 to 35 percent of revenue right now. Wow. Um, wages have continued to increase. During COVID, we had about 30 percent of the dental hygienists in Canada resigned, and very few of them have mm. come back. So there's an extreme shortage of dental hygienists, and those that are in the market are now demanding 50 to 60 dollars an hour Canadian. That is, um, supplies and lab run between six and nine percent each, and rent, depending on whether mm. you're in a high profile, expensive could be upwards of 10%. Sometimes it's down to 4 or 5% for, for medium locations, B or, or A minus locations. Um, and then after that, there's just too many other expenses to list. But the, the bottom line is that the average Canadian dental practice will see, and we use free cash flow, which is almost identical to reconstituted profit like you do. We do not use EBITDA in our methodology. Others do. We do not. We believe it's flawed mm-hmm. for many reasons. And Andrew and I did a video on that mm-hmm. recently. Um, so the average dental practice in Canada would have a free cash flow, and that's before any doctors have been paid, and that's assuming there's zero debt, because we, we add debt back to reconstitution, 30 to 40% is probably what the free cash flow yeah, of the yeah, average practice yeah. is in so, Canada. But there's a lot of pressure on that right now, because inflation's now running. Yesterday it was 8.1%, today our government published at 7.6%, I think that's a very temporary mm-hmm. drop. We should be probably upwards of 10% inflation by this fall. And if the doctors can't raise their fees to match that, that will significantly erode into mm. the profitability of every practice by the end of this year. And it's likely to be a continuing effect for one, two, or three years. Uh, so the, the solution to that, of course, is doctors need to either provide more treatment to raise revenue or raise their fees for the treatments they provide. And we'll see where that unfolds. And that's up to the profession. We don't on, we don't get involved in that. On the treatments, Timothy, one of the things that we've noticed since... Uh, COVID really was the fact of there's a um, a significantly more uh, cosmetic aesthetic private mm. treatments being done. Is that the same in Canada or would it always be quite high? I mean, we've obviously got the NHS, but what's interesting is there's no doubt about it. We've seen on virtually, I would say, every dental oh, practice we value composite bonding. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it even is composite bonding, Invisalign, anything. The the, the whole aesthetic. Um, cosmetic treatments have just gone through the roof. Um, and is that sort of uh, replicated in, in Canada? Well, I think we've been quite substantially further ahead of you on that because that's uh, that's down to the dental IQ of the public. And when the, when the profession at large, including all of the dental companies, the toothpaste companies, the whitening companies, Invisalign, everybody that's reaching the general public at large is elevating and raising their dental IQ. And an elevated dental IQ generally indicates elevated and higher increase in treatment plan and case acceptance Mm. for the doctors. Mm. So, yes, the doctors have always wanted to promote optimum dental care. And I think most doctors do say, you've got three options here. One is do nothing and we'll see you in surgery. 
Two is let's patch it and fix it because your insurance will cover it. Or three, why don't we go to the top? Let's get mm. you there. And I think the Canadian public at large has a higher propensity to accept that. A couple of reasons for that is we do not have an NHS per se. We do have some social service and government funded programs here, but they are very, very small portion of the insurance providers in Canadian dental care. Uh, 75 to 80% of Canadian dental treatments are covered by an insurance company at some level, uh, okay. 50, 60, 80%. And these are private insurers that are typically provided that insurance by the employer to the employee. And we have a very high consumption rate of that. And the rest is private pay. Um, so there's not a lot of insurance barrier to dentistry in Canada. There's dental IQ mm. barrier and lack of understanding why the treatment uh, will be suitable for that individual. And that solely rests on the dentist mm. and his or her team to, to educate mm. dentists. And uh, I think we have a higher consumption per capita in Canada. Roughly speaking, we have about 36 million Canadians now. The average annual spending of a Canadian is about $800 per year per Canadian. And that's all Canadians in one basket, all ages, all genders, and all mm. sizes and shapes. I don't think you have the same annual spending. In the States, I think it's down to about $1,600 or $600 a year. Uh, that's just because of dental IQ and to some extent affordability. Mm, yeah. uh, Canada has very, very high dental consumption rate per capita. I wouldn't say it's the highest in the world, but we're probably in the top five in dental consumption per mm. capita. Oh, wow. Wow. We've, we've sort of skirted around recruitment. You were saying, Timothy, that um, you've lost some hygienists. You know, Chris was saying those those issues around um, the amount of days that some of the younger dentists want to work. We're both aware of the increasing costs of, of running dental practice. Over here, we obviously had um, Brexit. Um, and that meant that the, the pool of available workers yep. reduced a bit. Um, we've had changing attitudes as a result of, of the pandemic. We know that you can't just quickly train dentists. It sounds like you're perhaps addressing that as a nation by bringing people in from overseas, which which helps. But but what does right. what does the recruitment world look like in Canada at the moment? And and also Timothy for nurses and receptionists because that's yeah. the thing we're finding in the UK is they're coming under pressure um, because they can go work for Amazon <laughs> or a big supermarket or something and get a better hourly rate with much more flexible hours and don't get as much stress with people shouting at them. Mm. Well, um, you know, the, the story that I've been telling for years is that a young woman can take six months of hairstyling classes and work in a hair salon making $50 an hour coloring hair, drinking wine with the ladies in the evenings and finding out who's sleeping with who in the neighborhood. Yeah. And that's very serious. Mm. I'm not exaggerating. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's an issue. It's an issue. And mm. like you say, against, against the backdrop of working in a, a clinical environment with all the, the, the risks associated and with it. And what that. does, what, I, I, I don't know, what would that compare, you know, your $50 for your, your hair? What would a, a sort of typical nurse be paid? Uh, 20 to $25 an hour for dental oh, assistants wow. and dental receptionists. Oh, you're right, that's nuts. And of course, more experience. Yeah, more experience would indicate a higher wage. But let me just go back to being serious for a moment. Um, there's a very, very serious human resource crisis in the Canadian dental profession. It's true of all the healthcare professions because of what just mm. happened to healthcare due to pandemic. And the doctors are competing fiercely for the qualified staff in their area. They're recruiting from each other. They're raiding mm. each other's offices. Uh, the, the corporate phenomenon, a corporate dental practice has a different culture than an individual hands-on owner. And corporate dentistry has a higher turnover rate than the individual practices. So the corporate dental practices have very sophisticated recruiting. And they're right in your neighborhood now, doctor. And they're trying to attract away your senior established staff. They mm. need them. They have 
to their shareholders and to their private equity backers uh, to maintain and staff that practice. So Canadian dental practice, human resources right now is a very, very serious crisis. It's not just serious. It's, it's actually in a point where dentists are understaffed. They cannot find staff to attend and therefore they're underperforming. They can't treat as much. They can't seat as many patients. And if you can't treat and seat, you can't mm-hmm. bill. And if you can't fill and bill, that's going to affect your top line. And there are many practices suffering purely because of human resources. And I don't see any change in that in the near horizon whatsoever. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You, you Sounds more serious than here. It does. It does. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've got it, issues, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's as grave as that. No, I, I suppose partly you've got, I suppose you're, in a way, we're fortunate, aren't we? We have a similar market size of dental practices, but actually nearly twice the size of population. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you've probably got, just by the numbers, there's probably more people available, but our guys are finding out them to pay more money to, to secure that. We, we were saying earlier on that we're seeing so many valuations that, because we, like you, we peer review stuff, who, um, <laughs> who've got trainee dentalness, trainee dentalness, trainee Lots dentalness, uh, because they're, they're giving people a, a job option which obviously will then turn into a good job option as opposed to, do you remember the apprentice thing? We, yeah. it, it, Timothy, we had this thing, there was a bigger uh, drive for apprentices and you would see, uh, this is pre-COVID, you'd get these poor old apprentices who'd earn like £3.25 an hour or something, wouldn't you? And then oh, the yeah. dentist at the end of the 12 months would just can them and get another apprentice. Well, those days are so good. Right. Yeah, it's a horrendous system. Yeah, that's... I think we would both agree, and I'm sure the viewers would agree with us, that that doesn't work in dental practice. These are highly yeah. skilled positions. You know, they're, they're, they require licensing, and they require insurance and supervision and training, mandatory continuing education. Oh, I think that the Canadian dental market uh, is bracing, uh, has already braced for the problem that they're facing, and they're competing fiercely for new staff, but it's... Uh, it's very, going to be very mm. persistent, and it's not given complain. given the the geography of your your country. Um, how do you how do you maintain a good culture and a positive culture and keep everybody kind of on message out there? Because I guess it's difficult for everybody to physically get together um, so often, just because you cover such a large country. So, what what are your sort of strategies? How do you make sure that everybody really buys into what Roy Corporation is about on an ongoing basis? So we have about 25 people in our staff and they gather every day. We're all back to full office uh, communications now. I think there's only one that's still working from home. Um, so that's very easy. And we, you know, we maintain an office culture that we hope is supportive and fun, uh, but we still have a job to do uh, for our external because we're coast to coast from mm-hmm. Halifax to Vancouver. Uh, there's about just over 20 of us to do the, the hands-on work, visiting the doctors, selling the practices. Uh, we're doing what I think all other companies are doing is obviously we use video communications. Uh, we haven't met in person in quite some time, except for a few individual meetings. And next year we're holding the biggest yeah. annual. 50 years. Sorry, I'm, I'm at my resort. Somebody's got a, a, a young puppy here. Uh, we are having the biggest annual function for our staff um, and for our associates that work across the nation and their spouses. And it's going to be quite substantial and quite over wow. the top. And it's just a celebration fact that you know we are successful uh we do need to gather and be yeah. human and be face to face that way and i think they deserve it we've been very fortunate through this cycle uh, the last uh, two and a half years that i think that the severity of the situation dictated that if you're going to engage an appraiser and potentially a broker uh, this is probably the time for the most experienced and the most mm-hmm. capable and because our brand wears that badge of honor 
We have been very fortunate mm-hmm. in the last two and a half years. And looking at our intakes, like you say, Chris, you have quite a few new assignments, new mandates to put value on practices. And that's a very strong leading indicator of people who may decide to exit. And the volume of intakes for us with new appraisal mandates is substantially elevated. Therefore, I think that the future for our company in Canada is very mm. bright. What does, um, how would you define success? What does success look like for you? Um, just a, you know, the greatest moment uh, for me in my career and the big success point is when that individual says, I'd like you to be my appraiser and or my broker. And it's the day when they sign the agreement that says, please appraise my practice. I'll pay this fee or the day they sign the contract to say, I want you to be my broker. And why that feels so rewarding to me and it's a success moment is that you've won their trust and confidence. Yeah. They believe in you, want you to handle probably one of the greatest exits mm. they will ever experience in life. And I'm sure you've done some amateur study of the psychology of selling mm. a business I often liken it to divorcing a perfectly good marriage. Mm. You know, you're selling your baby. Yeah. You're leaving something that supplies you with income, supplies you with busyness, supplies you with ego. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the king boss, and you're selling that. And there's nothing wrong with the business. So it's like divorcing a perfectly mm. healthy marriage. But time marches on, and we all have to exit sooner or later. And when someone makes the decision that they want you to handle that process for them, it's just that's my moment. It's really funny. We, and then the job. <laughs> we had a conversation this morning. I, I was going to say, you could have been sitting with us this morning because we were, we were saying the same thing about, you know, what is it that drives us? What is it? Where does the buzz come from? And the buzz gets comes from exactly the same thing when somebody gives you the instruction. And it's funny because yeah. we know the gestation period from getting instructions through to getting paid is, is significant, but it doesn't matter. The success yeah. is still the person trusting you to control and manage and deliver on what is their prize asset and the frustration when you don't get it yeah i think that's the thing that is great yeah. you know we've been yeah. doing it 20 years and when you don't get one it's still like it hurts. can't believe we didn't get it, it hurts just look at look look at our viewers for a moment here and i presume there's many dentists that will watch this you know that moment, doctor, when you've been talking to Andy or Chris or Tim for years about the bridge or the crowns or the implants or whatever that treatment plan may be, and it could be five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars or pounds, it doesn't matter. And the moment that patient says, you know what, doc, let's do it. That's the buzz for the dentist. Yay! I've won yeah. them. Now you have to go yeah, deliver it. And <laughs> it could take two weeks, two months. It could be a very complex treatment and there might be a few surprises along the way, but that's the moment for the doctor. The other moment for the doctor of success is to see the new patient in the day sheet. They come in in the morning and they see new patient. And that's a turn on because for them, it's like they've chosen us. We don't even know this person yet. They're coming at 11 a.m. today, but they've chosen us over where their pre-existing provider or all the alternatives they have. And so I know that the new patient exam notation in the chart turns on the doctor, but really for them, I think it's when, you know, the patient says yes, and then two, three months later, when they take the photographs of the final case, it's like, ah, artistry, mastery, that has to be very important to our viewers, and I respect that, and I don't think it's much different for us, we just happen to have a different mechanism that we do to to earn our success. Mm. 
What's, what, what, what's great is, you know, we're, we're separated by an awful lot of water, but the thinking that goes on behind yeah, yeah. what success looks like and what drives us is, is still the same. Mm. And I know from the conversation we've had before, you're, you're a great thinker and you come up with great analogies and, and you know, thoughts on different things. What, what would you say, have you, have you worked something out that most people haven't understood? Is there, is there, is there something that you've, you've unlocked that's, that's missing for most people? I think it's the psychology of dealing with the seller dentist. Buyers are motivated. They're young. Mm -hmm. They want to make a living. We get that. The seller dentist, it's uh, understanding it's amateur industrial psychology about the art of letting go. And most are not prepared for it. Uh, They may have a pressing matter such as a health issue pressing them or otherwise. But if you don't understand the psychology of letting go, um, you can't really work with a selling dentist. And I witnessed that when I bought this business from my father. I watched him and my mother very slowly let go. And it was very difficult for them. And I had to be patient as a young man. I had to be respectful. Um, it was, um, I was ready. Mm. I, I, I could get the money or raise the money or borrow the money. Like, Let's you go. don't strike me as somebody company. that patience comes too easily. Yeah. Well, some days it's a little hard <laughs> for me, but you know, yeah, respectful. So to the young dentists out there today, the associates or the non-owners, you know, you see the business opportunity and you see the income and you see control and to be your own boss and destiny. And mm. we get that. But be careful with these seller dentists. It's extremely emotional for them. And for some, it's like divorcing a very, very mm. happy marriage. And that takes a long time to get to that. And it sometimes takes a long time for them to let go. Yeah. So be patient with the seller. That's all I would say to the young groups in particular is just be patient mm. with the sellers. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really good advice yeah. because, like you say, you you need to make sure that you you work with the person on on the other side without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, definitely. We could we could we could do this all day. Uh, we could we could sit and chat all day, but at, at some point we need to let you get back to that beautiful background and your lake and your your summer house. So we always wrap up the the same way. We always ask our guests the same two questions at the end. So the first one that we always ask is if you could be a fly on the wall with somebody in a certain situation. When, when would that be and who would you be with if you were given the opportunity? Um, for our clients, I would be with the owner dentist and their spouse or partner at the moment where they say, maybe we should try something else. <laughs> we could move. Why don't we go move to Vancouver to be with the kids or to New York City or to London, UK to live with mom and dad? It's that moment when they decide a major life change is pending. Mm-hmm. And then you win with all the, you know, the nerd work that we do, which is how to help them get through that. Now, I was just going to give a little tour to the guests of my resort. and I might have lost my Wi-Fi, so I apologize for that. But Northern Ontario, by the way, folks, if you've never been here, the summers up here are spectacular. It's beautiful. I feel I want to get on a plane. <laughs> Again. <laughs> well, I, I have a float plane right now. I don't know if you can see it in the view. There is a float plane here at our dock today. Uh, it's beautiful. Where did it go? Hang on. Yeah. We have a plane here today. No, it's beautiful. Look at that! Really what, a, beautiful. What, a, what, a, what a lovely view for people. Yeah. It's a, it's wonderful. And if you could meet, if you could meet somebody, Timothy, if you were given the opportunity to to meet somebody, who would you um, who would you like to meet, given the opportunity? Uh, well, one I've already met, but I'd love to meet him again, and that's Dr. Howard Ferran from the United States. If you haven't met this man or followed him, he's a one of a kind. I like that guy. He is fun. He is right. Um, he is not righteous, but he is correct in a lot of his observations of dental practice. And I think many dentists 
uh, like him or hate him, you need to listen to Howard Grant. <laughs> and the other person I'd love to meet because I've only been on film is Andy Acton in London, UK, because we've never met in we've person. Not, we've not. We've not. We, we've had a near miss, haven't we? But we'll try and put that right next year. <laughs> and of course, you oh, too, thank Chris. You. Sorry. <laughs> Lovely, Timothy. We'll, we'll let you go and enjoy that, that that beautiful scenery around you. We really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy. You've got lots going on in your life. Um, and now I think our listeners are going to be fascinated yeah, at the comparisons Thank between you for your what's time. happening it's in Canada brilliant. and the UK. The similarities are remarkable. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Have a good afternoon, Timothy. Yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.